0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. In my office, I have a poster of a painting that hangs in the Wade Center at Wheaton College. The painting is named Aslan, and it was painted by Sally Breston. It's, uh, the painting itself is very large. It hangs on a wall all by itself, and it feels imposing when you stand in its presence. When I stood there and saw that painting, I knew that I had to bring it home with me, and since stealing it didn't seem like a good option, I I bought the poster instead. Here's part of the painting, but it's, it's cropped to fit our monitors. The artist who studied psychology was trying to capture the feeling of a particular moment in the Chronicles of Narnia. Let me let me read that section of the book. Is is he a man? Asked Lucy. Aslan, a man, said Mister Beaver sternly. Certainly not. I tell you, he is the king of the wood and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who is the king of the beasts? The king of the beasts? Aslan is a lion. The lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I'd thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course, he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. I want you to hold that moment in your mind as we look at the reading from Hebrews chapter 12, the author of Hebrews doesn't say the word Sinai in our reading this morning, but Sinai is clearly at the forefront of his mind. After departing Egypt and crossing the Red Sea, the Israelites arrived at Mount Sinai, and this incredible moment is recorded in Exodus 19. The author of Hebrews throughout our reading this morning is consistently kind of referring back to this terrifying moment at the mountain. Let me give you just a taste. This is verses 16-19. through 19. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the feet of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of the kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. To stand in the presence of God is an incredible thing terrifying thing. And it's what Israel is doing at the foot of the mountain. The church, as we've noted, is on its own exodus journey. The new exodus. We have come, the author says, not to Mount Sinai, but rather to another mountain. To Mount Zion. To the city of the living God. Then he goes on here to describe this city and all who are in it. He says, "...and to the heavenly the, the heavenly Jerusalem and to innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God the judge of all and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of, of Abel." Every phrase here could be unpacked, but I want us to just focus on a few things. First, it's fascinating that the author refers to the city to which we come as Zion. He's referred to this heavenly city throughout this writing several times, but now he names it Mount Zion. Mount Zion is, of course, a physical place like Mount Sinai. Zion is the central part of Jerusalem, the part that was first captured by David and then turned into the site of the Jerusalem temple. The author, of course, isn't referring to this physical location. He refers instead to what the temple mount always represented. The temple is the place where heaven and earth connect, where heaven and earth overlap and become fully one. The imagery here is essentially the same as we hear about in Revelation where the holy city, the new Jerusalem, comes down out of heaven from God to the new creation. Heaven and earth are no longer distinct in this imagery. They are united and overlapping. They are one. And that's what the author of Hebrews refers to when he says that we have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. But second, what's also notable about this text is the fact that he says, We have come. Past tense probably perfect tense to be specific but uh, past tense the Exodus journey started in Egypt right first Exodus starts in Egypt and ends in the promised land in the promised land is where Mount Zion is so the author is implying the journey that began when Israel left Egypt has now at last come to its inclusion the people of God have come at last to Mount Zion not merely a temple or a mountain, but a temple city where heaven and earth connect and overlap, but the author of Hebrews here at the end of his his letter, his sermon, however you want to regard it, is worried he 'll write one more chapter, but he 's kind of wrapping things up. This is the climax of his major theme and argument he 's worried he 's worried. That because we've arrived, at least in some sense, because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, because we've arrived, we have come to Mount Zion, that we will become complacent. He's worried that we will start to refuse to hear what it is that God is commanding us from this new city and that we will fail to be obedient. He says, See that you do not refuse Him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused Him who warned them on earth, how much less will we escape if we reject Him who warns from heaven. The author The author's point as it has been from the very beginning is that the new covenant is greater than the old in every way. And that includes that includes its threats. That includes the fact that to disobey the living God The one who speaks to us from heaven is to be in danger of his wrath. Because God is not safe. But he is good. He's good to those who fear Him. He's good to those who love Him. He's good to those who obey them. He's good to those who persevere to the end and run their race with endurance. Our God is not safe. He is rather a consuming fire. It's the last words of his main argument. Our God is a consuming fire. Fire can destroy But fire can also purify. That's, that's the point of the quote in verse 27. The author is referring back to Haggai 2, where the author there, the prophet there, speaks of the restoration of the temple, the time when God would shake heaven and earth and the nations, not to destroy them, but to refine them to burn away from them all that was not permanent, all that was not His, to burn away from them the dross and to make them pure. The prophet says, for thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations so that the treasure of all nations shall come in and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. The things that can be shaken, the author of Hebrews says, they're transient. They're not permanent. They are the things offered to us by the world, power, profit, prestige, and privilege. Do not spend your life in pursuit of things that are transient, of things that will not survive the great shaking of heaven and earth, of things that will not make it from this world into the next. Instead, be grateful That we have received from God a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And let us therefore offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. So often this verse is interpreted in terms of our Sunday worship, but that is incredibly short-sighted. Like I said, the author of Hebrews is here at the end of his arm, uh, 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 sorry, the end of his argument, he is reaching his climax. He has described the New covenant as a better covenant with a better high priest and a better sacrifice made in a better temple city, and we, every one of us, are priests in that new temple, priests of that new better covenant. And so it is our job, he has said, consistently to offer back to God as His priest acceptable worship, not just on Sunday, but with every moment of our lives. Because the God who offers us this great salvation and has brought us at last to Mount Zion, the heavenly city, He isn't safe. He won't be trifled with. He won't be treated like His word is a mere suggestion. He is a consuming fire. He will purify and He will burn away. He will shake all that does not belong to His kingdom and establish all that is His forever so is he safe not a chance but is he good absolutely he's the king and he has made us priests in his unshakable kingdom so go out from those doors and serve him Offer him acceptable worship with your whole life and do so with reverence and awe for all that he is. For our God is a consuming fire. Amen.